Good morning. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, my name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, uh, as I say every week, a gift to have you with us today, uh, to worship with us, to celebrate Jesus with us in this place as we gather together with one voice declaring who He is and what He's done, and then hearing the same fact in His Word. That's what we're going to do now. If you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, that's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Kings 18. We've been uh, in a series the last two or three weeks walking through the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. And man, it's just been powerful for me to study, to, to, to look into God's Word, to see the story of Elijah, because I think the reason why uh, we're, we're kind of studying this section of 1 Kings and even the individual uh, of Elijah is that, man, we, we called the series uh, Elijah, really, but a man like us. Because as I said the last couple of weeks, so many times we look at individuals like Elijah, like others, and I, I think it has utmost importance for us today in the text that we're going to look at that we think that they are some sort of other Christian. They have a different connection to God than we do. They're, they're more important. They did something more significant to be able to get God to use them or, or utilize them or whatever it might be. And as we'll see today, again, James declares in James chapter 5 that, that, that Elijah was a man like us, with a nature like us. And yet he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't. And then after three years, he prayed fervently, as we're going to look at today. That's what we're looking at today in 1 Kings chapter 18. Is Then he prayed again for God to open up the heavens, and God responded. God actually, he, he was moved because of the praying of Elijah. And man, I can't reiterate it enough in the sense that we're looking at today that, man, we have the, na the same resources as Elijah did, pray maybe even more so that we have the resources of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Spirit of God working in us as we move forward as followers of Jesus. And we're going to continue in the story of 1 Kings chapter 18 together uh, in the few moments that we have today. But I just want to ask you a question as we open up, just as I always want to, in getting your mind and your affections going in the direction we're going to go. And my question is just this. Do you believe, maybe even what we just sang about, do you believe in the power of prayer? Before you just say yes, I mean, that's the Christian answer to say. You know, if you said no, I'd be like, okay, well, let's have a conversation. But like, do you believe in the, the power of prayer? And when you say yes or no, think about what, what's behind that and what's motivating that. Because if we really believe in the fact that prayer has power, don't you think we would pray more? But when you look at your life day-to-day -day operationally, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday, when you look at your life absent of myself, absent of your group, absent of some spiritual leader you have in your life, whatever it might be, what does your life look like? Is prayer something that's dominating your life? Something that goes before you in whatever you're doing in life? Because if we say we believe in something, it should change the way we live, right? 
And more conversations I have with believers, more and more and more, it seems as though more and more spiritual disciplines, if you would put a phrase on it, praying, fasting, reading the word of God, all those different things, spiritual disciplines are becoming less and less a regular um, diet of Christianity. More and more, I listen to a podcast and I get filled up. More and more, I come to Sunday, I get pumped up for the rest of the week. Or, man, I, I love listening to this pastor on, uh, on YouTube and whatever it might be. And we use that as our spiritual resources. But, man, is prayer one of many spiritual disciplines something that, that dominates our life? I think that for many Christians, it's not. And I get to thinking about these things, like, why? Well, what's the reason? Yeah, I think maybe... I think without you confessing it with your mouth, maybe in the back of your mind, so many believers like really wrestle with, does prayer really change anything? Does it really do anything? Do my prayers leave the, this room? Do they even bounce back at me at the ceiling? What, what, what's, what, what, what happens, right? And I think maybe sometimes it's fueled by the fact that man, we're not seeing the radical change that we want. Maybe we, we think, man, I have to pray more passionately or, man, I have to get all the things right together. I have to say the right things or whatever it might be because, man, I'm not seeing the miraculous move in my life. And I think after a while, it becomes jaded. Young kids, man, they believe wholeheartedly, man, God can move. And I think over the years, we become more and more maybe jaded in the back of our minds and conclude maybe incorrectly that maybe God really doesn't. He might hear, but it doesn't really change much. Well, I would love to speak into that in the story of Elijah today. As Elijah finishes the most epic maybe seen in all of his story on Mount Carmel, where he defeats the prophets of Baal in a swift moment at the beginning of chapter 18. And then as we move now to the tail end, in the middle of chapter 18, I want to just continue what happens after this and this amazing story of Elijah praying for it to rain once again. And what I want you to see is, and I want you to believe this when you leave, not just in what you say with your mouth, but what you live in your life, because that is the true sign of belief, is that prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I mean, that's literally a direct quote from James chapter 5 with the story of Elijah. That the power, that there, there's powerful working in, in that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I hope you believe that. And I just want you to encourage you this morning to, to just wrestle with the fact, how can I pray powerfully and effectively? in my everyday life, and maybe just transform maybe the, the way in which you go about it in your prayer life. And so we're just going to start in, we're reading in verse 41, 1 Kings 18. I just want to show you three things in the story of Elijah in this section about the powerful effectiveness of Elijah's prayer and what it might do for us in our prayer life as well. The first one is what I want you to see in just the first couple of verses is pray in alignment with God's word. So it's just free. I mean, if you're praying out of alignment with God's word, I'm not sure why God would listen to you. If it's opposite, you're praying for like, God, you told me, name it, man, man. Uh, if I pray, I can see mountains move. Well, God, can you move this mountain of debt and give me a Corvette? I'm just telling you, it's probably not in line with God's word. Not that God doesn't want you to drive a Corvette. I don't know, right? But, so look with me in verse 41 and just see how it aligns with God's word. And Elijah said to Ahab, so this is right after Mount Carl, like all the prophets, uh, uh, of Baal are defeated. God just struck down with fire, burned up the offering. Right after this, 
And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up, Ahab's the king, to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the mountaintop, um, top of Mount Carmel. So he went back up to the where God was moving, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. It's interesting, right? So the first way I want you to see is that, that the way in which we pray, powerful and effective prayers, is aligning our prayers with the Word of God. This is the culminating moment in the story and the point uh, really to see is like, man, this is three years later. It jumps in just a couple of chapters of what happens now. And when we first met Elijah, he jumps onto the scene. He gives this message to King Ahab. Hey, because of all the sin you've done and you're leading people away, there's going to be no rain for three years. He says, right, 17 verse 1, just a couple of weeks ago we looked at, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So there's no rain, no water, no moisture, no nothing for three years. I mean, everything is dying. And God was showing him, man, showing Ahab, man, you want to run after false gods? Man, I want to show you what's going to happen when you do that. See, Baal, as I reminded you the first week, was the god of storms, the bringer of rain. And so God goes, yeah, let me show you what you think about Baal. Boom, no more rain. How good of a god is he? He's not a god, actually, as we looked last week. He says, only me. I'm the only god, right? And I bring abundance on the land. And as a result, man, that tells Ahab, man, there's going to be no rain. The sustaining of life is gone, right? Now at the conclusion of three years... It says, after many days. This is super, super important. Last week, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 1. The very first verse, says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in a third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab. I will send rain upon the earth. This is so pivotal to what we're going to look at today. This is a promise from God in this moment. It says to Elijah, go show yourself to, to Ahab. This is before last week where he goes and he, he, he fights the prophets of Baal and prays. Before that, God told him, go show yourself to Ahab, rains a coming. Right? We know the story last week. Come meet me on the mountain. They prepare the sacrifice. Baal doesn't show up. He mocks them, calls down fire. Yahweh wins. God wins. And all of the prophets of Baal are taken care of, right? So this is pretty pivotal and key. And he tells Ahab, hey, I just want to tell you, after the victory that he saw, this is actually against Ahab, I want you to go. And, and celebrate with this feast. Now, there's a bunch of different people that, that have different interpretations of this. Maybe, just maybe, that some people think, like Moses and, and Aaron experienced uh, with Israel, the establishment of the covenant in, in Exodus chapter 24, that this was kind of God reestablishing in this feast his covenant with Ahab, giving him a moment, say, hey, we've learned I'm the only God, and the people were shouting, God, he is God, he is God, not, not Baal, not Asherah, right? And he knows that God's going to send rain. He can even hear it in his ears as he says, there is a sound of rushing rain. He firmly believes what God has said is true. He says, man, I'm going to bring rain. Go and do what I've said. So when you look at what Elijah did, he was so confident in the fact of the word of God. This is what God said would happen. He climbs up on a mountaintop. He bows himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. I'll, I'll just ask you, when's the last time you 
before the Lord were in such a humble posture that you were on the ground with your face between your knees or laying just flat on the floor before the Lord in a humble posture. Like only you can do this, God. I have nothing in myself. It's you, Lord. That's it. Extremely humble, dependent posture. Man, he's like in the fetal position on the top of a mountain. Not prideful, like I got this. God, will you just do what I say? And what the text implies is that Elijah prays for what God had already promised to do by sending rain. So you might have been asking this whole time, Jim, what is the point of what you're saying? Pray in alignment with God's word. I don't see that. Well, the point is, is that very from the very beginning in 18.1, 1 Kings 18.1, God promised, go show yourself to Ahab, I'm going to send rain. So here we have now him sitting before the Lord. And we just think, like so many people think, Elijah, some super prophet, only man. We would just have to ignore the testimony of God's word in the text here, right? Every time Elijah is confessing his inability, he's begging for God to do something that he cannot do. He may see, seem like a dynamic guy, full of charisma. Man, uh, all of this different stuff. But at the end of it all, his boldness is not in himself. His boldness is him saying, praying on behalf of the word of God. There's no magic in Elijah. He's not some guy who has a special measure. There's no ace up his sleeve, like the final moment, I can just pull a trick. No, all of it depends in his prayer on 1 Kings 18 and verse 1. God promised it. Now I'm going to pray in response to what God has already said. God's word has been declared, and I'm just going to respond to it in this way. In my helplessness and my humility, even in the posture with which I go before the Lord. If you have kids, you ever notice how easily they never forget what you promised them? I mean, you know, just whatever it is. I mean, it might be like you promised three days ago that you would get ice cream on the way home from school on that day, and somehow in their developing brains, they still remember it. They're like, Dad, there it is. You promised like a week ago we'd get ice cream on this day. I'm like, how do you even remember that? I was trying to get out of something by telling you that, but you listened and you believed me, Right? Like, they never forget what you promised them. You could be like, I promise next year for your birthday, you can have this. I would think by then they would have not even remembered it, but they're like, birthday's coming, Dad. Remember what you said? Like, what in the world? They never forget the promises you make them. You promise your kids you're going to be at their game. While they're playing the game, they're going to look at the sidelines. Where's Dad? Oh, that we would be like young kids, as it declares we should be in Scripture, that we would be people that never forget the promise of God, the many, 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 many promises of God in Scripture, and when we go before him, we literally, in effect, hold God accountable to the promises he made to us. In declaring to the Lord, God, you promised this. I'm just coming before you and begging and asking and, and declaring, ask me with all that I have for you to move on my behalf. You see, Elijah knows the promise of God, and his prayer is aligned with that promise. Man, prayer from our text that is powerful and effective is prayer for things that is declared in the Word of God that aligns with the Word of God. When you think about that for a moment, how often are your prayers asking the Lord to move on behalf of the promises He's declared in His Word of God, in His Word? I mean, a couple ways you think about it. 
practical ways to do this. First of all, maybe we just start with, do you have a regular time, daily, weekly, familially, to go before the Lord? Is that even a practice you have, a discipline, a habit to say, man, I just want to talk with the Lord? That's step one if you don't. How can you pray the promises of God if you're not praying and going before the Lord? Second, man, I just would compel you. They even make these amazing books, little psalters, where they're psalms, and just start praying through the psalms. There's a, literally a book of prayer in the Word of God that the people of Israel used, that Jesus himself used, and do we take time? And if you don't know, start, start going through the psalms and praying through the psalms and the promises of God there declaring to the Lord. Third, man, I would just say, learn the promises of the Word of God. The second thing is, right, in order to pray the promises of God, I have to pray. In order to pray the promises of God, I have to know the promises of God. I have to know what He declares in His Word. I have to know what He said. Man, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And He says, man, you pray that because, man, my kingdom's coming. My will's going to be done. And I'm just praying, Lord, will you move in that way in Lake Orion, in Oxford, in Auburn Hills, and in Oakland Township, or wherever you live. Man, I'm just praying what God already desires, right? Certainly we pray. But powerful and effective prayer takes God's promises right back to Him, right? And you just think, start thinking about all the promises of God. And I just, you just, just a few, right? Just in the New Testament, God promised salvation to all believe in his son. So what does that do to me? Man, I want to see my family member see the Lord and, and give his life to the Lord. So I'm just going to bank on Lord. You said everyone who believes in your son, you will save. And I'm just praying for their heart to be changed. They might call on you for, to be their savior. Man, God promises things. All things will work out for his children, to them who love him, right? May not be exactly what I want, but man, I can pray in that regard. God promises comfort in trials, to walk with us in trials, so I can pray to that end. God promises new life in Christ. God promises every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have everything that I'll need, right? He promises to finish the work that he started, even when I'm wrestling and struggling and thinking I'm not going to make it through my Christian life. God's promised that, man, he's going to finish the work that he started. I can pray to that end. And the list goes on and on and on. But in order to actually pray those things, I have to be in the Word of God and know those things. Have those things a part of me. What an amazing thing it is, the way that God aligns prayer to happen. That we take His promises, as one commentator says, we take His promises and turn them into prayers in order that the promises may come to pass what an honor God has given us, not as robots, but as servants who should have no higher ambition than to pray down His will. So what does it look like for you to know the promises of God and pray them over your children each night? To know the promises of God and pray them over your family, your neighbors, your church, the missionaries of our church, myself, our country, our community. What does it look like for you to pray in accordance with the word of God? Because God wants to do the things that he promises in his word. Well, not only that, not just praying the promises of God, but persisting in pursuing God's promises that he's declared in his word. Look with me in verse 43. It says, and he said to his servant, so Elijah has a servant with him, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, 
There's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Persist in pursuing God's promises. Imagine what that was like after three years, nothing. No rain, no dew, no nothing. There's probably dead bodies in the street of animals. All kinds of stuff with a drought for three years is pretty unbelievable. And then in that moment, his servant sees after seven times just a small cloud like a man's fist on the horizon over the sea. What an amazing thing it would be. Here's Elijah face down, humbled and bowed down, pleading with the Lord to fulfill the promise that he's already declared in 18.1, rain's coming. What's fascinating to me, I just think this is unbelievable. God doesn't immediately respond to the promise that he already declared. Isn't that fascinating to you? Elijah's there. Servant comes back. There's nothing there, Elijah. Sorry, man. I want you to go back. He goes back once. Goes back twice. Goes back three times. Four times. Five times. Six times. And it isn't until the seventh time he says, Behold, there's a cloud on the horizon. Have you ever thought about why that would be? These kind of things just kind of trigger my imagination. God's already declared in, in 18.1, I am going to send rain. Elijah knows this. He's been told personally by the Lord. And so now here he is praying, God, fulfill your promise. God doesn't listen right away. He makes him wait. Why? I don't know if you're looking for an answer. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I just think it's good. Because how many of you have waited, been upset? God, you say this, why won't you answer? Why won't you respond? I wonder how frustrating it might have been for Elijah, a man with a nature like mine. You said this would happen. Like, what are you doing, God? Persisting in prayer. Go back. Oh, I believe God's going to do this. Don't, nope, you don't see anything? Go back. I'm telling you, God's going to do this. Oh, you don't see anything? I'm telling you, just go back again. I wonder how many of us give up on four or five or three or two because God doesn't just do what we say when we want him to do it. But there's something in the waiting where God is building persistence, perseverance, faith, dependence, inability. That God is doing something in the patient persistence of his people going after him. Elijah here is persisting in prayer, continually going back. John Mayer, not the singer, but the theologian, says, when Elijah's servant brought him word that no cloud appeared, he persevered in prayer, even when the servant returned a second, a third, even a seventh time before any cloud could be seen. And Elijah did all of this, although he knew for certain that God would send rain. Elijah did this because he knew that it was God's will that he should earnestly seek him so that rain fell, not by natural means, but by God's power, so that he would be manifested as the only true God. 
We are to persevere in prayer until we prevail, even though we may see no sign of accomplishment at the moment. Man, that can't be more true in our lives. We continue in prayer, even though we don't see it right now. God promised Elijah had to wait, building his faith and his persistence in the Lord. You might know a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He says this, There is in the Bible a promise just exactly suited in your case. So mind that you find it. Did you ever send for a locksmith to open a drawer because you had lost the key? and could not open it. He comes with a great bunch of rusty keys, very like God's promises, which you have allowed to get rusty through not using them. And first he tries one key, and then another, and then another, until at last he gets the key, the right one, and the treasures in your drawers are, are spread open before you. It is just so the treasures of God's mercy. There is one special promise in Scripture which will fit the, the wards of the lock of your experience, and you must try promise after promise till at last you get the right one, and then you can say to the Lord, as Jacob did, you yourself said this. Man, if that isn't convicting in my own life, praying over situation, this promise that comes from the Word of God, this promise of the Word of God, this promise, and then I can go before the Lord. You said this is what you desire. This is your will. This is what you long for. And Lord, I'm just begging you to fulfill the promise that you've already declared. Man, you might be here today, you might be watching online, and you've agonized at the length of time it takes for God to answer your prayers. Maybe, just maybe, you're someone here, you've given up. And you say, it's not working, Jim. Here's the, the beauty of, of just chapter 18 that I think is beautiful for us to learn about prayer. Sometimes prayer is effortless. Other times prayer is agonizing. In a moment, Elijah effortlessly just says, Lord, Come. Come like fire and show these people on the top of Mount Carmel that you are God. And in a moment he comes. In the very next scene, he agonizes seven times. Go look, go look, go look. And if that couldn't be a more accurate depiction of like what praying is, sometimes in a moment God answers our prayers. Sometimes it's agonizing over years and years and years. I'm not sure where you are on that spectrum, but I do know that God calls us to persist. Don't give up. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pressing through prayer. Keep, keep going after the Lord. Man, what an amazing story in, in Luke chapter uh, 18 is one of the couple of stories in the Gospels where Jesus actually tells a story of a persistent widow in verse 18. I just want to read it for you, down to verse 8. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, uh, sorry, sorry, 18 verse 1, I was reading in verse 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So he doesn't like God or people. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my, against my adversary for, for 
a while he refused, but after he said to himself, listen to this, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So I care less about this lady and I care less about God, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And this is what God says is, is how we should respond. He says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So the example God gives to us to be, to be, to be continual in prayer is, bother me! Bother me until I don't want to be bothered anymore! Keep pursuing, keep chasing the grace of God. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be encouraged because you're on that path. Continue to pray and pursue God in his promises. Continue to pray promises over your people and yourself. Continue. Don't give up. And maybe tomorrow you see a cloud on the horizon, just a small cloud that's a sign of God's grace coming. Maybe you'll never see it answered in this lifetime. but may we be people that continue to pursue God in his promises. The last thing in our text, and actually involves what we do after prayer, that we plan to respond to God's grace. Look what it says in verse 44b. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, where his home was. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel, so to where he was living. The promise of the rain cloud is on the horizon. Elijah, and he tells his servant, hey, go and find Ahab at the feast where he's at and, and tell him to get going. Like, man, there's, there's a cloud coming. It's going to be a massive storm. And man, you don't want to be caught in the mess of travel for that because he's still serving Ahab as the king, as the prophet there. And, and he, he says, man, you might want to get going because rain's coming. It's going to be a big storm and, and you don't want to get caught in it. Don't be stuck in it. And sure enough, in verse 45, we, we see that the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and great rain. It's kind of like this summer. How many times, man, have we had some crazy storms? You just see it coming on the horizon. And this is the picture that he's seen, the fulfillment of his prayer. The drought that was prayed for and God called for was coming to an end. And here now he's showing that, that not Ahab, not Asherah, the false gods that we talked about last week, but Yahweh, the one and only true God, is the one who's bringing now rain to nourish the land. What a beautiful picture it is to Ahab the king, the unrighteous king of who is God and even his grace in his life, right? And this is where Ahab sits at a crossroads. He's seen a bunch of different stuff, as we've already read in the last couple of weeks. He has a choice before him. Now he knows without a doubt, Yahweh, the God of the universe, is the one and only true God. He saw firsthand the false prophets of Baal were humiliated up on top of a mountain. Then they proved that they were unable to respond. Who responded? Only God responded. Only Yahweh, the true God, responded. Not only that, he's the one who promised the rain. Now he's delivering, Right? The word of the Lord stood firm. God's grace was evident and abundant in Ahab's life. Now we see it coming to fruition here, right? 
And what the text really suggests, and many commentators bring to light, is that Elijah's prayer in this passage is actually a display of the forgiveness of sins in the people of Israel and Ahab. After on top of the mountain, they're there chanting, God, he is the one and only true God. Now God responds, right? As one commentator says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, he quotes 1 Kings 8. When, when heaven is shut up and there is no, gray, no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your servant, to your people as an inheritance. I mean, you can't map it out anymore in the scriptures, right? The people sin, drought came. God commanded this would happen in Deuteronomy as we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Now the people turn back, turn back to God once again. Rain comes. Grace prevails. As if God responds to their response with forgiveness of sins and the bringing of rain. But the question is, how will Ahab respond? Now we're going to look at that next week, and I'm going to talk about it now. The word of the Lord has come. He's received Will he continue in his rebellion and his wickedness or will he respond in repentance and confession and turning back to God? And when you look at it, it begs the question for us. It helps us to think through the same thing. Like, how do we respond to the grace of God when God does move, when God shows up in our lives, when God responds our prayer? Do we respond, right, to the grace of God appropriately? It's interesting, man. Prayer that is powerful and effective embraces God's uh, grace. It actually responds to it. It actually moves, right? You might be looking at me and be like, this is great, Jim. You could talk about prayer and, and miraculous prayer and seeing God move, like praying for rain and it rains and all that, but I've never seen God move in that way in my life, and I'll tell you, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. If you're sitting here or you're watching online and you've prayed to receive Christ and you've confessed your sins and your brokenness and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you've witnessed and experienced the most miraculous thing you can, someone who was dead that came to life. Someone who was broken and is now healed. Someone who was far from God and can never come into contact with God now in personal, intimate, beautiful relationship with God. You've experienced the greatest miracle you can experience in what God has done for you. You see, our spiritual life, just like Ahab and like the people of Israel, was a drought. There's no rain. There's no sustenance. There's nothing we can do. Only God in Christ on the cross provides for us the sustenance we need or, or the fulfillment that we need. So much so that he says, man, I'm the living water. Come to me, everyone who is thirsty, right? And what Jesus has done on our behalf is maybe the greatest miracle we could ever experience. And the question I have for Ahab is the same question we have to wrestle with. How will we respond when God's evidence of his abundant grace is displayed in our lives? Because the greatest way with which we can respond is with repentance, faith, obedience. Will we amend our lives to, to, to pursue God, to turn from false idols as we talked about last week, Will we respond and listen to the evil or broken or wicked counsel of this world, or we will depend on the word of God, which is the greatest counsel that we could experience in this life? 
Maybe for you, you haven't responded to the grace of God in your lives, that you're sitting here today knowing and hearing that Jesus gave his life for you, and you can but in a moment respond to him and receive Christ and be reunited, reconciled, as Scripture says, back to God, the God of the universe. And then you respond to the grace of God in action by living these things out in your life. You see, the thing I want you to see today is that there is no, there is no secret sauce that Elijah had in prayer. Elijah very easily did much what we did. He depended on the Word of God, praying the Word of God. He banked on the promises of God. And then, in light of that, it calls us to actually respond to the grace of God in our lives when He does answer. And for you, I know, if you're sitting in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've heard God respond to your prayer in miraculous ways, once at least in your life, and it's from you becoming a redeemed individual and following after Jesus. The question is, is how are you continually following now? The passage that I quoted from was in James. In James chapter 5, we only read part of it. James writes in, in chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this is where we get actually our big idea for today. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And then right after that, it's, it's part of it. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. This is our passage today. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. It would be... A problem if we just quoted the last part, but there's a section, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man. Well, it doesn't say the prayer of a broken individual who, who never responds to the grace of God is living after the world. It doesn't say the, the, the prayer of someone who really doesn't give a rip about what God has for their lives. It doesn't say the prayer of a person that just kind of comes on Sundays and gets filled up and goes out and does whatever they want. It doesn't say a prayer of an individual who, who really is wrapped up in sin and has heard a million times that they should repent of it and go in the other direction, just keeps living after it. It doesn't say any of that. It says the prayer of a righteous individual. Now, we know that we are righteous because we are covered by the blood of Jesus, 100%. But there's a calling in the text of confessing our sins, being healed and, and, and responding as a righteous individual. And maybe for you, the response today is that you would be a person who, who comes before the Lord, confesses your sins before the Lord, repents of them, and walks in righteousness. And maybe the best step you can have, Pastor Alex called us to at the end of the sermon last week, maybe the best thing you need to do is confess your sin to another person. Because you've been living in it so long, no one else knows about it, no one knows what you're dabbling in, no one knows what you're walking in, and you think you can handle it on your own, but you've been thinking you can handle it on your own for like 20 years, 10 years, or a lifetime. And today God's calling you to confess that sin and walk, respond to the grace of God by walking in faithfulness and righteousness and pursuing the Lord. For you today, I know that there's many different people. I ask the band to come, so I'm out of time, and we'll close in a song here in a moment. But I just want to acknowledge in the room that there might be people in this room that are 
are just at that place where, man, Jim, I'll just be honest. When you're talking about pursuing the Lord and being persistent in the Lord, like I've just been being persistent for the Lord. Jim, you said at the end, like, hey, this thing that's just been controlling my life for 20 years, I just can't seem to overcome it, Lord. I've begged the Lord to take it from my life. And I've been praying for my wayward child to come back to the Lord for years, and I just, I believe that's a promise from the Lord that he wants to redeem them. And he just, I just feel like he hasn't responded. I've prayed, Lord, for healing because I, I think that you would want me whole. I believe that, Lord, but just you haven't responded. And so as many times as I can in the services, I just want to be open to us praying for one another. And man, if you're someone here today, I don't have to use your example, maybe it's something else for you, but you're just in the place where, man, to be honest with you, I could tell you I'm maybe even a little bored I'm frustrated with God. I'm at, I'm at time five, and I, I don't know if I can get to seven. If that's you today, and you're just walking through wrestling, I, would you just... I just want to call the church to pray for each other. And if you're, that's you, would you just stand up where you are? And I'm going to ask before we sing a song, I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to ask some people to come around you and pray over you because it may not even be about you. It might be about someone else that you're praying and asking the Lord. And the people next to you, they might not know exactly what it is, but we're going to, and we surrounding them, we'll pray the promises of God over those people. So if you would just stand where you are, nothing special about it. And I'll be the first one. You can come pray over me because I've got some stuff that I've been begging of the Lord and It's not yet finished. And so we're asking the Lord, but I don't want to lose heart. I don't want to give up. I'm going to keep persisting in the Lord. So if that's you, if you just stand, and we're going to pray over you and pray with you as I pray, and I'll pray over you as well. And if there's no one, that's fine. I'll just pray, and uh, we can continue praying together and finishing with the song. That's fine. But if that's you, and if someone's standing next to you, if you would, if you feel led, uh, would you just go over to them and lay a hand on them if they're okay with it? If not, just slap their hand off you. It's fine. Um, and we pray over them as the Lord is, um, wants to move in their lives and on their behalf. And we stand with one another in these things. And, and the band will come and lead us in, in a song just asking, Lord, I need you, Lord. I can't do this without you. I need you, Lord. And um, without you, Lord, I'm lost. I desperately need you. And there's people standing around the auditorium right now that are saying, Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. And I just maybe need the perseverance to continue. And but we pray around them. So if there's someone by you, if you would, just put a hand on them and pray with them as I pray. And uh, we'll finish with a song. God, would you just respond to the people today, Lord, that has responded to you? Um, there might be someone today watching online, Lord, that is someone that is standing in the living room or a hospital bed or in a car going down the road or whatever it may be, and they are, they have been persistent, Lord, and they just, they can't seem to see it come to fruition. You haven't answered yet, but it doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't want to see great things come in their lives. It doesn't mean that you don't want to respond, but Lord, there's something in the waiting that you're doing. And so, God, I pray over every individual that I see in this room that stood up and says, in this place, I want to declare and I want to ask the, the body of believers in this room to pray over me and come around. We don't know what those situations are. From left to right, I look at their lives. I don't, I don't know what the situation is, but you do, Lord. And so we pray the promises of God, Holy Spirit. When we are unable to, you pray on our behalf. And Lord, we just ask, Holy Spirit, to, to pray over them, bring about the promises of God in their lives. 
And for all of us in this room, may we be faithful in responding to your promises. May we be people that know your promises. May we be people that continue to go before you, actually asking you of these things, as this is only one aspect of prayer. And God, may all of us in this room be people that pray continually in accordance with your word, calling down the promises of God like a young kid asking his mom and dad to fulfill what they promised. And when time comes, may we respond to your grace that is evident and given in our lives. Even now, Lord, as we stand and sing, we just declare we need you, Lord, every hour. In Jesus' name.